Welcome to NoClip. I'm Chad Roden. I'm JJ Artemis. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today we're going to be talking about Epistory. Uh, Typing Chronicles. <laughs> Forget about the subtitle. Uh, so Epistory Typing Chronicles uh, is a game that was released in 2016. And it's on PC only. And the reason for that is because this game uh, is a typing game. Something that I've been like low-key pushing for us to talk about for a while, because mm-hmm. I f- just love typing games. Low-key. Low-key low key <laughs> board. Mm-hmm. Ty- I mean, I ruined the joke. But yeah, it was, great it job was good. just explaining <laughs> immediately. Jesus, what are the dates, Chad? What date did this come out? This day. Let's get this back on track. Well, you already said that. Well, I said the, the year. If you really want to know, March 30th. <laughs> 2016. I'm sorry I demanded useless things from you. Uh, but it, actually, it was actually an early access game before that, um, but I did not know about it when it was an early access game, and we certainly do not play the beta of this, so like, <laughs> not really what we're going to be discussing. Um, but uh, what we are going to be discussing is the fact that, I don't know, uh, if you guys have like any experience outside of sixth grade computer class <laughs> with like typing based games I think I have the familiarity that like 90% of people have with this genre which is uh, horrible shitty kid games that are trash I think you mean they're awesome but... and <laughs> typing of the dead Okay, and I've never played it but I know of typing of the dead because it's weird it's pretty weird typing of the dead is also the game that taught me to touch type so, like, because I, I just, I never learned, like, even in, in school, uh, how, like, you know, keep keep your hands on the home rows, like, mm-hmm. learn where the keys are and actually type like a person so does. Did you just not pay attention in junior high uh, typing class? Yeah, more or less. Okay. I, I did, like... Because that's where I learned to type. <laughs> yeah, because I still, like, did, like, the hunt and peck thing, mm-hmm. even in that, I would, like, hide it, I'd be like, oh, oh. <laughs> This is going to tap over here, they won't notice. I feel like it's important to point out, this is not a typing game that would ever use the phrase home row, like, even once from right. the beginning or to the end. It is, you know, we're very used to all of these typing stereotypes based on games <laughs> literally designed to teach us, as like a third-person omniscient narrator, about typing as an activity. Right. But no. Like Typer Shark. Right. Yeah. Uh, but this game actually uses game design to get you to keep your fingers on the home keys instead of telling you to do it. That's actually, that's a big uh, uh, first question is, at the beginning it tells you, you know, you can use WASD to move, or you can use the other keys that they have set up for moving. Now, based on the fact that I don't remember what those keys were, you probably know (laughs) I didn't do it. I used... W-A-S-D. Mm-hmm. Did either of you, like, learn the new movement? I completely ignored it. In fact, I didn't even look or read the letters. I was just like, oh, I'm just going <laughs> to so watch the switch. I, uh, I use the controls they tell you to. All right. Like the home keys one, because I was like, oh, this will make it easier to type, like, if I need to on the fly. Right. I don't have to move my hands. And that is but smart. Anytime there was, like, a movement puzzle or whatever you want to call it, you had to slide around on ice. Yeah. I just used the directional buttons. Oh, you can use the arrow keys mm-hmm. as well? Oh, damn. Well, that... Yeah. Awesome. Uh, 
<laughs> Lots of options on this. So one. much keyboard integration in this typing <laughs> video yeah. game. There's a lot of key- this keyboard innovation. Innovation, fuck me. <laughs> it's just a regular keyboard. It is keyboard innovation too. Not like on the hardware side, but in <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, but there is more keyboard integration than you would actually uh, normally think of. Because so while typing the dead is my touchstone for typing games for the most part, uh, even it still use like mouse movement or even just directional like uh the arrow keys and the enter button for menu selection whereas this game is just like just type everything <laughs> like you never have to touch the mouse from the point that you boot this game for the whole the whole experience and i think that's uh generally a pretty rad idea indeed it really helps to show how much they kind of committed to the theme and actually treated this like a mechanic set and not like I don't even know. Like, the, the weird way that educational games just treat the activity that you're trying to perform as the only and singular focus instead of, like, the experience of going through the game. And that's a really obvious way to describe what's going on here. Mm-hmm. But if you try to apply it, like, to a first-person shooter or something, if you tried to teach <laughs> someone how to play an FPS by, like, omnisciently third-person talking about, like, manipulating the controller and, like, how you point things different directions and things like that, of course, it would be a weird and off-putting experience. Right. But it feels so natural here. Yeah, like, in, a, in an FPS, you don't want to see, like, the, t- the tutorial message that come up, comes up in an FPS should tell you how to aim and shoot a gun, not, like, place your reticle here using the mouse and then use left mouse button uh, in order to, like, put damage down on the thing, the reticles. It has to be talked about in some form of abstraction. Right. But because this is a game about typing where you have to sort of focus on the keyboard so much, it's way better to just be like, you know, use these keys to, to move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because we haven't actually gotten uh, to this yet, because we spent so much time sort of vaguely joking about how much you like typing games and typing games as an institution, I want to make it clear up front, at least from my perspective, this is good, and I was surprised by how good it was. I think I, uh, like most human beings who might be listening to this, will have like an initial skepticism of any serious conversation about a typing game, and this completely destroyed all trepidations that I had. I would just recommend this to people, generally. That's fair. Uh, and on that point, like statistically speaking... Uh, you, the audience listening to this, probably haven't played this game. <laughs> you might be listening just because you do that. Uh, and I want to say that it, it's probably... Uh, we'll talk about the narrative, but I don't think that it plays enough of a part in the general enjoyment of this game to consider us spoiling it, like, ruining the game. Mm-hmm. So I totally recommend, uh, like... After you listen to this, if it seems interesting at all, totally do try this game out, because it is it is a wacky, wild ride. Yeah, and JJ used the phrase educational game <laughs> earlier, and while this is supposed to like improve your typing skills, sure. it doesn't feel like it's an educational game. Like, it doesn't... It's not like Jumpstart Typing or, or something... <laughs> Mavis you, Beacon. Yeah, or something you might have played in, like, elementary school. It's like an actual, like, well-designed game. It feels right. like a Zelda game that just uses typing as your mechanical interface for everything. Yeah. And it completely works. So, jumping directly into uh, the narrative that I... The, to spoil it right off the bat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I actually am... Because 
This game does have a narrative, and that's kind of the way that the game marketed itself, is it's like, it's a typing game that's like a real game, <laughs> as opposed to like a, a different game with typing glued to the, the top of it, like mm-hmm. a Typing of the Dead, or uh, just purely educational. Uh, however, I really think, while I love what this game does mechanically and structurally, I don't think that the narrative really like worked. For me, like, I didn't, like, love it. I just came away being, like, I'm glad that there was, like, something pulling me through. And you are talking about the meta-narrative, right? Well, I wouldn't even call it a meta-narrative necessarily so much as, like, a framing device. Sure. But, yeah, the the fact that this game has, like, a, a, a plot twist, so to speak, mm. uh, or, like, a hidden narrative didn't really do yeah. anything for me other than just, like was there, yeah. felt cohesive. I was super into, like, the atmosphere and the mm-hmm. aesthetics of the game, mm-hmm. but I do kind of agree that the narrative is very bare-bones and very metaphorical, I guess. And I, it would have been nicer if there was more, like, meat on the bones that are there right. for me. I think they went really hard... Uh, to try and imitate the weird balance that Braid initially struck when it came out, where you're you're playing through essentially just a mechanic set that all sort of vaguely metaphorically relates to something that's going on in a meta narrative, but unlike unlike Braid, this game's like moment to moment gameplay is pretty defined. Like it's it's really easy to understand and. Uh, other than just the conceit of everything's made of paper, right. uh, you can just sort of picture what's going on from any from moment to moment as if you're just playing a Zelda game, and it makes sense and has a line. Unlike Braid, where you kind of need the meta narrative to make sense of anything that's happening at all, like that that game was really weird and sort of psychedelic, and how it mishmashed and combined lots of different expectations that you have visually. But this game doesn't have that, so you never need to really reach to the meta-narrative to understand what's going on around you. Right. So instead you just feel like you're playing a Zelda game that has like really emotional, effective uh, goals for itself that I don't think it ever quite reaches. Yeah. Either. It, it, the game was going for a lot. Like I, I feel like the team, uh, which I actually never even said, the name of the, the developer of this game is Fishing Cactus. And I feel like they set out to make this typing game uh, and they really wanted to differentiate it and be like, this is a typing game, but, etc. Like, the the typing game is the thing that might draw some people in, but might also put some people off of it. Oh, yeah. So they wanted to give it as much extra juice as they could. And they're like, it's a typing game that has a narrative, like a, a, a original narrative that we wrote. And it has, like, this crazy papercraft art style, and it's set in a fantasy world, and, like, all of these extra, like, little aesthetic touches that I think work really well, but at the detriment of being, like, maybe they spread themselves a little bit too thin for such a small team. That's a good way to put it, I think. Yeah, they aimed real high on this and clearly cared about what they were going for, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it shows in the final product, but... Like, like we've alluded to before, at least on the narrative end of things, you can tell that they probably reached a little bit far over what they were practically capable of delivering. Uh, and it, it made me have the strangest feeling. Like, have you guys ever been in a circumstance where you felt like the social tone of the situation you were in 
obligated you to be emotional about something, but you weren't. <laughs> and that, like, immediately started feeding into this, like, sense of personal guilt. Right. So you try and, like, guilt yourself into feeling emotion about a circumstance. <laughs> but then the emotions just don't work that way. So it never succeeds, and you're just having this weird internal battle about nothing. Yes. But only when they, there are other people involved, and I feel like social pressure to feel those feelings, or if I had like certain expectations for something, and I feel like I'm not meeting them, and I try to make myself feel a certain way. I can agree with, uh, yeah, that exact thing. <laughs> only I've ever sat alone without expectations and been like, I should be sadder than I am right now. Well, yeah, I would agree to that statement. <laughs> the reason that it was different for me in this case is because this game had such a weird niche and you can tell that they went so far above and beyond what people would normally expect from that niche, mm -hmm. it felt like someone's pet project to me. Someone's successful pet project. Right. Uh, I felt like when I was playing this game the same way that someone feels when they like show you your, their favorite TV show... But, uh, at least narratively speaking, you kind of don't get into it, even though you have nothing against it. And then there's, like, like I just kept imagining, like, the cactus people off in the background, just sort of, like, looking over your shoulder and being like, do you like it? Like, it's so, it's so meaningful. Like, why are you weeping right now? <laughs> I'm like, oh, I really liked it. <laughs> See, I feel like in order for the narrative to have, like, hit like that, there would have needed to be more, like, concrete moments of story and less just little bits and pieces that you have to kind of put together yourself. And literally, in the case of the, uh, like, the, what I forget Fragment what scroll? Yeah, fragments, fragments, something like that. Yeah, and looking, I was, because I was thinking earlier, um, while we were talking, like, this game felt like it needed, because you made the Zelda comparison, that it might have, like, benefited from some NPCs or something. <laughs> Someone but to, then to I was like, I saw Shadow of the Colossus there on your uh, desktop <laughs> background, but I'm like, oh, it is kind of going for, like, an isolated, lonely atmosphere. Yeah, It doesn't drive that home particularly well until the last level, though. Agreed. Right. The desert does a really good job of giving you that feeling of isolation, uh, whereas the rest of the game does feel more like a... Like, let's explore the woods right. situation. And, uh, but Shadow of the Colossus is a game that is super light on story and um, has no NPCs or anything like that. Right. But what it does have is an opening cutscene that establishes the story clearly <laughs> and then an ending one that concludes it clearly. Right. And this game does not have that. Right. It just dro it drops you in... It wants to get to the meat of the typing really quickly, mm -hmm. and then at the end you're treated with the uh, the the reveal that it was like uh, not maybe not like a dream, some kind of like comatose delusion. Yeah, someone piecing their life back together out of a coma. Right, and then uh, that actually pretty good credit song. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Is it, is it, that doesn't. In my opinion, didn't come through at all until the end. Right. If you put put together all of the fragments and actually check them as you go through it, it's like I feel like you get the gist of what they're going for by like the third one that you put together mm -hmm. of I believe eight total, and uh, when. <laughs> but at that point, it, the mystery wasn't really there for me anymore. It was just like. Okay, the girl in the fox is like a girl in real real life, and these are the events of their existence. And then at the end, it was like surprise, she's in a hospital, and like you get that in the last levels 
fragment thing, but like at that point you're only four minutes away from the legitimate like full reveal. Yeah. So, eh, it's fine. I thought that it, especially in the initial part where I was figuring out that it was a real person, I was I was on board. Like I was like, this is cool. Agreed. Yeah, I kind of picked up what they were going for pretty early, but it was so scattered like it's so vague and there's so little of it that you just kind of like just go through the game yeah you sleep it under the rug yeah and you don't have anything to really go off of till the end yeah especially since uh the sort of zelda style open world exploration mechanics don't have a lot that evoke the themes of someone like trying to piece back together memories from their life mm-hmm. like the figments were a way that they tried to do that but but those are literally essentially just pickups that unlock story beats for you right in a pictorial form in this case so you end up getting a whole lot more focused on the girl in front of you or the fox in front of you and the world in front of you instead of the like abstracty stuff that they want to keep reminding you of by like the voiceover narration that keeps yeah. happening which the voiceover was good yes uh mm-hmm. it was well acted uh for the most part well written there are a few things where i was like uh, I don't know about the, like the tone it's going, it's striking here. Mm-hmm. But I actually I like the voiceover as a as a conceit. Uh, I'm not gonna say that it was like like Bastion, no. But it has the same uh, like contextual, though it's all uh, geography based instead of like actually uh, dynamic in that way. But it has the same feeling that it's going for, where it's like somebody telling a story as you progress through it, and. Overall, I think it worked pretty well. And I like the inclusion of the text that pops up in the game world, Mm -hmm. as it's uh, being said. And the fact that it persists. I think if you go back through, like, a dungeon or whatever, all the text is still Still, around. Right. Which I really like. In fact, if uh, we want to move off of the, like, this part of our discussion on the narrative and kind of uh, move into something else, there is one thing about the narrative that I do really like. And that text on the ground is that they use the narrative in a way of, like, signaling information mechanically uh, more than, I don't know, like, most things do or bother to do. Because you can use the text on the ground as, like, a, as a marker of just being like, I've been here before. But then in the, the boss fights or the, like, final waves swarm, yeah, at the end of each dungeon, uh, there will be, like, three parts of a sentence that will appear as you go through it that mark off like waves Mm -hmm. and that like i I don't know it's just a cool nice touch that they did that Mm -hmm. (laughs) so rather than having like a progress bar or something you just get a little bit more of some like cryptic sentence yeah it's nice yeah i don't think this game uh including the narrative does anything badly i just think there are parts specifically in the narrative that it doesn't do exceptionally either right yeah but on that uh, sort of last wave situation that we were talking about at the end of the uh, of each dungeon, uh, I feel like that was the mechanical like starting point for this game. Uh, mostly because one, that's how they use uh, <laughs> that's how they conclude every dungeon. That's those like bonus areas in the overworld, mm-hmm. uh, the nests. And then, also, there's an arena mode that's just wave-based typing. And uh, I, feel, I feel like that was, like, that had to have been 
where the seed of this game sort of came from. Is they just like type things as things come toward you at varying pace and with varying like degrees. Right. That's exactly like Typer Shark. Right. Which is another game <laughs> that you might have played in school. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I'm just wondering, like, uh, is yeah, I, I, I keep wanting to like ask you guys what your opinions on things were because I played this game like a year ago or whenever it was that I got my mechanical keyboard and I searched <laughs> typing games on Steam <laughs> and this came up and I was like blown away. Yeah, what a hidden gem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, classic hidden gem story. <laughs> it you, is a classic hidden gem story. Did you just do that because you wanted to hear the weird mechanical keyboard sound as many times very, as quickly as possible? It is very satisfying. Yeah. There's, when you're using a mechanical keyboard, uh, you just want to type all the time. <laughs> And it feels so smooth. Uh, and, like, I used to have a mechanical keyboard when I was a kid, and then I went for years without one. Mm-hmm. And then I bought this one, and I was like, all right, got to get a typing game. Got <laughs> to really put this baby to work. Uh, and this is what I went with. I want to apologize in advance if my face is showing some kind of du- some kind of judgment, because whenever <laughs> mechanical keyboards come up, I have this weird psychological association that makes me think that they're, like, the most elitist things in the world, and I'm not sure why. <laughs> it's probably because if you buy a keyboard at, like, a Walmart or a Best Buy or something, usually you're going to spend about 20 to $25, and that mechanical keyboard was 140 mm. <laughs> So it has sort of an elitist air around it. Are you seriously arguing that you're an elitist on a podcast right now? I don't... Well, just because he has one does not mean that he is an elitist. No, I'm an elitist. Chad's never been like, ooh, look at my mechanical keyboard. It's clearly superior to yours. Let's let the man answer for himself, Andy Kenick. (laughs) Uh, I was going to say, no, I'm not arguing that I was an elitist because of my keyboard. I'm an elitist because of my my $140 keyboard, uh, that stupid mouse, the fact that I have two monitors and a fucking computer with a glass side to it so you can look in at all the cool parts that you purchased individually exactly hundreds and (laughs) hundreds of dollars each yeah that is what makes me an elitist but i try to uh i try to sink down to your level just really wade through that muck and shit (laughs) just get your face right in there we're not going to even touch the fact that Andy's uh, Mac probably cost twice as much as my <laughs> computer did. Uh, I actually got my computer for like a sweet deal, so it probably did not. <laughs> okay, you might be right. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how much of that I'm keeping. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so, the wave-based combat thing. Uh, is what I did want to talk about. Uh, and sort of like, did you find parts of this game difficult? Did you choose a difficulty, or did you go with the adaptive difficulty? And actually, let's just start there. What's the default difficulty? The default is adaptive. Okay, that's what I use, because I never opened the... Me too. Okay. Options. The adaptive difficulty is great, and it's actually really well done, as far as I can tell. Uh, where basically, if you're, it's just, it's a video game thing now to have adaptive difficulty to try and keep you in that flow state. Well, actually, uh, adaptive difficulties existed since Tetris, Chad. 
at the very uh, well, least. <laughs> all right, elitist number two identified. Continue. <laughs> uh, what I mean is that it's become more common to have adaptive difficulties in yeah. games. Uh, <laughs> Uh, in order to maintain the flow state of like not being completely held back, but also not having it be too easy. I think that the flow state works particularly well in a typing game because it's something that you have like an innate skill in. So when I say that, I mean like <clears throat> a typing game is testing your ability to actually type on a keyboard as opposed to, say, like a Dark Souls game where you eventually will memorize the layouts of stages know where enemies are and your execution is what's being tested uh and you become better at the game like specifically that skill set yeah typing you kind of come in with some understanding of how to type most of the time and uh so the the difficulty is a lot the the scaling like the amount that you're going to get better over the course of the game is a much smoother curve so i feel like the adaptive difficulty was a great idea for this because there aren't a ton of adjustments that you need to make. You don't need to make many, but you can make as many as you want. And that's a really cool thing about a typing game that, uh, that I assume they realized when they were programming and making this, but I didn't because I was a dumb person who never considered <laughs> using typing as a mechanical interface for a video game. But like... Uh, Mark Rosewater will talk all the time about knobs in game design, like the number of different things that you can adjust in any specific mechanic to make it better or worse. Mark Rosewater being the lead designer of Magic the Gathering. Yes. Uh, so you'll have certain... To use like standard video game examples, like the amount of damage that a bullet does. Mm -hmm. If your game only deals damages in whole numbers, then you can only increment things up or down one. Mm -hmm. And if your game has thousands of HP instead of like five HP, the amount that you can adjust something and change its relative balance can either be really, really minuscule and fine detailed or really, really huge. And being huge can be restrictive. But in a typing game like this, you have, for open for adjustment, the specific letters that you use, how familiar the words are to you, the, like the sequences of letters in those words, and how long those words are. There's like a million different ways that you can fine tune the difficulty of like just trying to make you type something as fast as possible. Right. So they can, even though the curve's really, really flat, they can always just like completely center on whatever point your skill is on that curve. Right. So it always feels tense and like you're being tested. And then beyond that, even when the, the typing itself is the thing being adjusted by the difficulty slider, you can even have a good difficulty curve in-game uh, by the use of the, like, the abilities and where you make things spawn. Uh, one of the classic examples of this is those, like, Hydra guys who have, like, the anti-disestablishmentarianism words, mm -hmm. like, things with 20-plus letters in them that you've never heard before in your <laughs> entire life. Uh... Those guys spawning by themselves is horrible. Those guys spawning with like a nearby dude means that you can use the shock power. So they can in introduce that enemy type in a semi-controlled environment as long as you understand how to process them. Mm -hmm. uh, and then later give you more difficult challenges using the same sort of thing. Um, and they're other examples of this they're like insects that have like the individual characters that they can send at you and so they have a lot of knobs both in the difficulty tuning for the typing portion the mechanical part of the game mm -hmm. and uh they also had a ton of knobs 
in the individual encounters. And it really is the elemental powers that take the core conceit of a typing game and make it something that you interact with like you would... I'm not sure the turn of this. Not the correct term for this, but like mechanically in lots of other video games. Like in the way how Dark Souls is technically a lot of the times a test of your skill at dodging and picking times and openings, mm -hmm. but there's also the meta level of like what build that you pick and skill assignments that is broadly applicable to most video games where there's a thing that you're just being tested on and other meta things you can manipulate about that for like builds for your character. Uh, the ways that you can manipulate the elemental powers allow you to not just literally be tested about how fast you can type, but also let, like, let you manipulate the circumstances of what's going on in the battles in a very video gamey and fun way. Right. You can have, like, tactics when you go into these horde mode battles. I, I would often fail some of the, like, extra challenge levels and then think for a few seconds about, like, what powers I should use in what orders as the battle went on. And that was cool and effective and not something I'd ever experienced in a typing game before. <laughs> and they, they also have an interesting cost, too, because they are, uh, like, they're, you type the, the power that you want to use, uh, meaning that the cost of doing it is, is just more time that the enemies can come closer. And I particularly like the fact that they chose uh, the words that they chose, um, where, like, fire, wind... Uh, are both four-letter words and sort of like your general offense, pa like offense defense power. Ice, which is something that you generally use if you just like need more time, is yeah. the shortest word to type and one of the simplest. And then uh, is it is it spark it, or it's spark? It's, spark. it's a five-letter word. It's a five-letter word, and it is. <laughs> I think, inarguably, just the strongest of the elemental abilities. Yes. I, I found that ice was the best in my opinion uh, they're both to the point of being like overpowered i thought <laughs> see i always felt that about spark but we could because like for me like if there was ever anything that giving me trouble like i would just like type one word on each enemy and just kind of like make a circle and right. they, like wouldn't come any closer <laughs> and it was just like yeah well <laughs> i've had circumstances <laughs> there they go <laughs> I've had circumstances where uh, I, that, that didn't work for me. And that's because the trade-off that you're making when you're using... Because there are different powers that incentivize moving in a circles between individual enemies like that. Fire mm -hmm. is, is the other one. Mm -hmm. uh, and what it, what it costs you is the time to stop looking at that thing and look at the other thing. Because since instead of that, since two words will show up on enemies with multiple words at any given time, mm -hmm. you can type, and I figured this out like late game, I don't know why I never made the connection before, but you can type like way faster by just straight typing on one enemy instead of switching, right. mm -hmm. because fire is the first default, default power, so the, the general habit that I got into was switching. Right. So you end up losing speed if you go through the circle if you go the, if you do the circle method, and that's part of the, one of the reasons why I agree with Chad and thought Spark was like by far the best one because you could just hone in on one thing and rapid fire it and still do AOE damage all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's if it if Spark like broke the experience to other to any level for me. I, I'm inclined to say no because the adaptive difficulty always adjusted for it. Right. The I don't think that any ability ever like hampers the difficulty of the main story and I don't know if this is just because I was playing the game on like insanity or whatever the <laughs> the hardest difficulty level but uh spark is the it did it was probably the only way that I could have beaten uh the last like optional nest 
uh, because it was just like it was fucking insane, and you, I just had to like figure out exactly like what order I was supposed to be using things in uh, to get it because they start sending those guys with twenty letters after you, and that's when you want spark because you can like burn off words from them. Mm-hmm. Um, but ice also incredibly good for the same reason, mm-hmm. and wind and ice sort of like overlap a little bit. Wind bothered me because it would push enemies out of the zone where the words would show up yep and you would just end up like having to sit and wait for them to crawl back in that reason specifically is why i almost never used wind yeah so there are very few like arenas that were like designed for it where right. you could push them and their words would still be there even some of the ones where they are like where they send purple enemies yeah, if, they, they just, went, like, if they go to the later. sides <laughs> right seem like they get cut off earlier <laughs> yeah all the different elemental powers having their own, like, contextual uses when you have to trade off, essentially, AoE damage against additional time, against, like, burning additional words, like, mm-hmm. I guess, DPS in this weird typing game metaphor. <laughs> uh, it works well, and I really did like it, especially on the later levels where they started to mix things. Yeah. I also kind of like the puzzle elements that the elemental things bring. Uh, while we're talking about, like, the the battles my favorite thing that they did in the game and i wish they would have kept it going through mm-hmm. the rest of it was the uh, i can't remember that was in the mine i think where they had the little crystals that you had to light up oh yeah just, yep. yeah they had like the arena where like if the crystals would go out you couldn't see the words so that you would that's another thing that you have to like type the word on the crystal to light it back up so you can see the words on the enemies. Right. I'm actually curious, uh, because I- I've played this game twice now, and I just didn't have the memory of it the first time, and so while I do still remember it, when I ask you guys if you had the same experience, in that fight, did two of the crystals have the same word? No. Uh, I think no. Uh, almost certain no, but I'm not sure. Uh, mine did... I don't know if it's a random thing or if there was, like, a bug, but I had two of the same, and it, it like, it was, like, an extra challenge. I even died in that and then came back, and they were still the same word, so I just assumed that it was, like, preset. But I had two that were the, the same word, so every time that I, one of them went out, usually both of them went out because you light all of the things at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you had to, like... I would type it, and, like, sometimes it would go to the one that I didn't want, and it was like, oh, God, I gotta type this word twice in a row really fast. Maybe it's an additional sanity to challenge, who knows. But I do know that it is possible in other circumstances for repeat words to show up on the same screen. Mm-hmm. There's some kind of random distribution going on, even on the lower difficulties, because I've had, like, two of the logs be the same word on the same screen. Right. So, Also, the, uh, in the... Words. Video game. Where do you find a Zapdos? A power plant. In the yes. power plant level? Uh, <laughs> Hold on. Let me you restart it before you get too far. Because the fact that you had to remember what a power plant was by going to where do you find Zapdos <laughs> is the nerdiest thing I think I've ever heard you say. That's ridiculous. It's up there. Uh, I'm sure I've heard you say something nerdier than that. <laughs> There's a good chance. Uh, we do a video game podcast once every two weeks. No clip podcast at noclippodcast.com. Uh, also, in the power plant level, uh, especially during the final boss fight, this becomes an issue. You can see some of the things that you can like switch or activate in the main 
world from the platform that you're on. And so you can just accidentally type words that are down, like, not even part of the boss fight, which is a weird thing. Yeah. I was waiting for that level to use that as, like, a gimmick. Like, a couple of different... There's another level where they, you there's, you can teleport between multiple floors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was waiting for the, the puzzle or the secret thing that required me to activate a level on a different floor. It was on a different, like, plane. Yeah. Never happened. I was like, But I was thinking... Because this is actually great. If you're making, if you're, if Fish and Cactus is listening to this and they're making Epistory too, keep this in mind. I, I was playing, I've been playing Cuphead, and there's a boss in Cuphead where uh, the way that they telegraph, uh, there's, it's like a clown with a roller coaster that goes by, mm-hmm. and the way they telegraph when the roller coaster is going to go by is that you see the track in the background and it comes up the other way. If you could like see things happening and like maybe toggle a door or something to control the flow of the enemies from like a different plane, uh, that would be cool. Would be a really neat mechanic that uh, this game obviously had the tech to pull up <laughs> and just like wasn't done, probably because. They didn't think about yeah. it. I was definitely <laughs> waiting for that to be a puzzle element as well. Because mm-hmm. the wind uh, temple or whatever had that where you could see stuff in the background as well. Yeah. yeah you could even fire things like up or down in the wind temple at different Yeah, levels. like you could just like shoot some things down on the like a lower floor just for some more points. Yeah. You know, like, oh, speaking of doing, experience or whatever. doing shit for more points... Uh, other thing that I initially was kind of mad about, but the more I played the game, the more I liked, uh, the combo incentive element in the overworld. I think it's like what made the overworld exploration in this game entertaining for me, where I could see it have without, I could see without that being kind of tedious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I really like the fact that um, you can you can continue a combo just by like, zapping a log or whatever yep so it it serves the double purpose of course of of acting as a marker on the map to show you where you were but also you can do that thing where you run from a battle through the overworld and, like hit some rocks or stuff and then find another battle and get into it and continue a combo for fucking ever yep. uh and you get like huge points and it feels good to level up uh until the end of the game <laughs> where you're like oh i'm just done leveling yeah that was, I thought, a very odd, uh, I don't know if it's the, because I don't know, when did you guys, like, hit max level? Uh, two dungeons before the end of the game. Okay, that's... I didn't. You didn't hit max level? No. Okay. So you probably didn't do many of the, like, optional things. No, I, I think I started the game a little too late, mm. so I just wanted to get it done in time. Which that is, it does not take a long if, time yeah, to get there. If it's a, yeah, the game world's not that big, and uh, I enjoyed it enough that if I had another day, I probably would have. But right. Yeah, I've. I mean, I've. <laughs> I've I was close though. I think I was only two levels away, maybe even one. Mm-hmm. So, but for the most part. Uh, like, if you just sort of, like, go about... I mean, honestly, that that says a lot for your navigational skill as well, because I would get lost quite frequently and just stumble upon things that were optional yeah. and just do those, and that's kind of how I hit max level as fast as I did. But uh, you just run out of things on the upgrade tree. Like, real fa- Like, I had points in the bank before I unlocked the last powers. Yep. Where it's like, I don't know if that's really... Uh, the best 
Yeah, because uh, <laughs> yeah, it removes all incentive to do the awesome, fun, overworld combo stuff. Right. Yeah. I um, it also might have been influenced by the fact that, like, I knew there were four dungeons because you told me. So, like, oh, yeah. my, my, like, main focus was, like, look for those dungeons and then do optional <laughs> stuff if I feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, there are four necessary dungeons, the four ones yeah. that give you the four powers. And when you unlock one of those areas, it, like, pops up, like, chapter three or whatever. Yeah. I hit chapter so you four before them. chapter three this time. Me too. And I was like, this is weird. I was, uh... That's. I was wondering how non-linear this game was as I was playing it. Uh, not super, but like I, I didn't know how like um, precisely they designed it. Whether or not like things were gated until you had. Yeah, there's there's a ton of gating in this. Uh, in terms of like, there's just shit all over the place that has elemental things associated with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the map reveal icons that you find that give you more of it are gated to your current experience totals right uh so you can't gate your way past the elemental powers but you can uh, sort of manipulate the the overworld gating and that's how like chad i managed to do the the fourth level before the third level and all sorts of other silliness so it's flexible enough that it's kind of fun you still feel like you're exploring instead of going on the wind one supposed to be last yeah okay because i felt like the the lightning one was the hardest. The lightning one is not only the hardest, but also sort of the standout yeah, in so my mind. I thought that I might have done it out of sequence. Right. And it just, like, adjusted, made it chapter three. Three, yeah. <laughs> Because I got to it before the wind one. Yeah. So I didn't know how that worked. Yeah, so if you're planning a, if you're planning on routing this game for an epistory <laughs> speed run, <laughs> uh, there's at least one possible sequence break. Maybe more. Uh, and you could actually do that, and it would actually be fun because the whole all the tension would come in and maintain of maintaining the combo as you go into the overworld. Right, like, it would be a fun skill testing typing thing throughout. Oh God, somebody! Ooh, my guitar hero senses are tingling right now. Let's see somebody <laughs> full combo <laughs> epistory like from the beginning to the, you couldn't because they the combo meter runs down during cutscenes, but... Oh, shit. Yeah. So, like, you'll walk into an area and, like, it'll zoom over to show you something and you're like, come on, come on. <laughs> I gotta get back should... and type tungsten so I can get this thing real. You should uh, write a letter to Fish and Cactus. I'd be like... Email, I mean. <laughs> Not a letter. No one writes this anymore. I mean, it seems like the the typing game developer with the paper craft aesthetic would probably appreciate, like, a physical letter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but can I have a soapbox here for a minute? By all means. Uh, teachers who literally spend even a second of your time, uh, trying to teach students how to like very specifically write letters and like the overforms of letters. This is not the way that I thought this was going. (laughs) I know. Surprise. Uh, stop it. Stop it. It was so useless. It's no point. (laughs) I don't know. It was useless when I was six. It's more useless now. That's true. What were you thinking? What yeah. are you thinking? You're old. You're not thinking. You're in the past. Get rid of letters. Just stop it. Well, it would. I feel like it probably would have seemed like it would make sense to teach that when we were kids. Possibly in school. Yeah. 
when the internet was barely a thing. It was in its infancy. But it, now, <laughs> I agree, completely unacceptable. Yeah, 100% stop that. Even if you ever need to know, you can just Google it in five seconds. That's true. <laughs> the internet has made this <laughs> doubly uh, anachronistic. <laughs> Outstanding. On that note, I think we should take a break. Okay. All right. Wasn't there like a video game or something that? Oh right. We we got so caught up talking about Martin Lawrence and the Black Knight <laughs> uh, that we forgot to welcome everybody back to the podcast. Uh, when we left. Uh, we had pretty much concluded a lot of d- discussing of the, the discussion of the mechanics, and I think the, with the exception of the actual keyboard and typing stuff in Epistory, the thing that's going to draw a lot of people in is going to be that aesthetic mm-hmm. and like how fucking gorgeous it is is like a weird papercraft thing. Yes, it, like it's actually as we sort of alluded to in the first half too gorgeous for the tone that the game's trying to set up often. (laughs) Like, it's so pretty and enticing and interesting and unique that I don't feel like I'm playing the, like, oppressed story of a woman in a coma. I'm just like, oh man, this is so great. Yeah, it's so well done that you feel like it needs those kind of visuals that, like, a game like Child of Light has. Where it's like you, you you picture like some kind of gorgeous like paper craft castle or something, <laughs> and like there's nothing like that in this game. No, no. You know, like that's what I I I keep going there, like imagining like the things you could do with this art style that yeah. just aren't done in this game. Yeah, and then just yeah, fuck. Say <laughs> like paper craft castle sounds like even like it would be the final level of this game. Yeah, yeah. you gotta follow construction paper road down past Scissors <laughs> Avenue <laughs> to paper craft castle. But you know how hard modeling this kind of oh, stuff yeah. certainly has to have been. Yeah, I, they had to have come up with some kind of shortcut because the way that this is animated, even, is so good. Yeah, it's they would have had to have actually modeled these things out of paper, I think, or at least had some kind of reference right. of like what it might look like if it was actually modeled out of paper. Yeah, because things because things ex- look too authentic. Yeah, the it, with the exception of when you open up new areas and things sort of like pop up, which they even give that sort of bounce like a, mm-hmm. like it's a pop-up book. Yeah. Uh, which I think is a concession because one, they had to, they, they couldn't just like show a thousand origami trees pop up out of nowhere because it would tank the performance of the game. Uh, but also like they were like, well, we got to keep it within the aesthetic. So they kept going with it at like, I mean, fuck, I appreciate it. It looks fucking great. Yeah. Uh, but with the exception of that, yeah, like everything, things are even folded. Like it, it they mm-hmm. unfold and, and move. Like particularly paper the fox. Yes, the fox looks like straight up an origami fox. Yeah, it's really, really well made. Uh, which honestly, at, like at a point, you sort of like just assume that your characters are assimilated as like one unit <laughs> as you play. And, like, I always have, occasionally I'll just look and be like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, a girl riding a giant fox. Like, there's something that is weird about that in concept that just melts away when you're playing the game. Yeah, it is kind of like when it, while you're playing, there's something about the girl's character model where you kind of, like, block it from your mind and you're only seeing the fox walk around. Agreed. Or at least that's the way it was for me. Mm-hmm. I think this is a weird circumstance where there aren't many video games that have you 
constantly trying to embody a protagonist writing another thing all the time. Tons of games have you writing stuff, but never constantly. Like, it's right. always a thing that you detach from. So in this game, being one embodied protagonist that is a girl writing a fox, you, your mind has to, like, yeah, make up excuses yeah. for that. You're controlling the fox. <laughs> right. So that's what you see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's... Uh, the isometric perspective also sort of lends to that, because, like, you're never shown... Uh, the girl in like full detail right throughout the whole game you unless it's on the loading screen right and so when you're actually moving around you're not really thinking about it as two entities you think about it as one thing Mm -hmm. Uh, so I totally agree that uh, I wish that the vision of these creators had been given like you know enough resources to be able to do the crazy like environmental things that we know this art style could make bonkers and crazy if we wanted to right since the art since the art that is in front of us already for fairly minor overworld things like single floors of a dungeon and some trees and shrubbery already look great yeah uh but i do think uh that the enemy design in particular in this game has a lot of room for improvement i (laughs) never felt like i got visually wowed with that question yeah why are the enemies bugs is there a significance to that that I missed? I mean, bugs eat paper in libraries sometimes. That could be it. <laughs> okay, so no one knows. I don't know for okay. sure. It's because it's almost immediate too. Like you get in, you dropped into the world. You type, you like fill in some flowers somewhere, and then they like the chitinous uh, gnashing of mandibles <laughs> makes its way toward right. you. I mean, and like the, the, the like enemy zones are called like insect nests. Yes. It's like, yeah, insects seem to be the... But like, I, mm, I've never seen an insect that look like a fucking yeah, I was worm trying to think of from like, magic. Right. <laughs> Some of them are clearly not. Like they're those little eel things. Yeah. But, um... But I was trying to think of how, like, how does that tie into the coma thing? Like... I think some kind of like manifestation like of something in her subconscious, or I, what are they going for? <laughs> yeah, I think honestly, bugs chewing through paper is probably like the explanation for okay. it. But at the same time, like I, you know, I I don't maybe there was something that we did miss. Mm-hmm. I just I feel like it's unlikely. Yeah, it just seemed like a weird choice. Like you were saying, lots of room for improvement. Could have had like. Some cool enemy variety, like different enemies in each dungeon and or each something. A- yeah, because that's the uh, spoilers. The next thing that I want to talk about is going to be the design of the dungeons themselves. But that kind of differentiation would have gone a long way. Mm-hmm. I understand that that is a difficult thing to do. There are already like ten enemy types in the game. That's true, but like the reason that takes so much resources in like most games, something like a Zelda game, uh, is because they have different moves. In this game, they just walk, walk toward, toward you. you. You just have to model a new thing. Yeah, and then a movement animation, but that's True, still way but less. Like, yeah, that's so much less time. And you, we're just only... have to, you just have to have a walk cycle of it moving forward. Yeah. And, and we're only talking visually here too, because like, admittedly, there's not that much you can do to mechanically differentiate enemies in a typing game. Mm-hmm. Like, the mechanics are going to come down to type a thing sometimes with a specific elemental power attached to it. Yeah. So, even that, like, it's just, like, I guess a, a remodel, and then uh, it, it could just be way more expensive to model the things in this game than <laughs> we're giving it credit yeah, for. Yeah. I feel like 
I, I want to push back a little bit on the idea that they could, that there's not a lot of differentiation in a typing game mechanic set because uh, one thing I did notice that the dungeons helped teach me when I was going through this game is how there was variety. You weren't always typing words when you were doing things in the dungeon, mm -hmm. but the fact that the things that you weren't typing weren't words didn't mean you couldn't have different ways for them to make sense to you. Like the bridge sequences in the in the lightning level where you would have to like roll your fingers over a particular point. Yeah, that was excellent. The like the mystery uh, scrolls that legitimately confounded me because I'm a stupid person for a long time where they just look like random combinations of letters and take you seven years to type until you figure out that they're just just one line of keys all straight in a row and you can just go like a magic like finger across the keyboard man then... did i uh, mm, that yep. was that was a really legitimate face palm but <laughs> well, i think maybe i was helped along by the fact that the first one i think that i encountered was one that was asdf yeah i don't know I, like maybe i'm just like an angry dork but like when i was a kid and i would die in a game i would just like start rolling it like mm -hmm. asdf asdf over and over again uh, and so, like, it was pretty clear when when that was the case. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it does because they do like full rows on the yep. on the keyboard. There's more than that. Even they have the the numpad surprises with the safes, which made you actually shift over to the numpad naturally, just so you can try and do it faster. Or if I'm not mistaken, in Andy's case, type on the top row. Yeah, because <laughs> my keyboard doesn't have a numpad. Aww. And uh, the like back and forth occasional locked things where you just have to repeat it really fast. Those are fun. I, I wanted more enemies that did weird things with keyboards outside of words like that. And that's totally room for expansion that you could do in another iteration on this kind of concept. Right. But like it would have been neat, uh, especially if they found, well, actually come to think of it, this might not be actually useful. But like if they could figure out some way that it could allow you in a typing game to differentiate targets so you could didn't have to always focus on one thing. It would be really difficult to do that because of the you didn't want to inter interpose a switch time. Like you can't type things at the same time. Right. And, and I can see that being a limitation in the medium. But like in my mind, I'm imagining myself like sitting here with like two keys, doing like a weird back and forth while trying to like over here reach over to the numpad and do something strange. Yeah, I mean there are lots of of like mechanical things like that that could be implemented where it's like one thing just has like. Uh, like uh, I don't know, like CX over it back and forth over and over again, and then like while something comes up from the other side that you can type with just your right hand, mm -hmm. and uh, that would be an interesting sort of thing. But it would also have to be built around, like it wouldn't yeah. be like yeah. something that could just happen in an encounter. And like this game is designed to like teach typing or not or like improve your skills with typing right. and that kind of thing does not accomplish that <laughs> agreed, agreed so they might have ruled that they might have thought about that stuff and decided not to put it in like my legit favorite thing about this game is that it is a typing game that doesn't have to compromise itself toward right. that goal right now it's maximizing both but you could make a game that abandons like its pretense to teaching you how to type things and continue to maximize the gameplay a little yeah, bit further. I agree, and I would also prefer that, but I feel like the developers would not. Yep. Uh, and my, my read on it was not necessary, and I didn't read promotional material for this game or anything. Um, but like my read on it really wasn't that it had any aspirations to teach you to type so much as it was just like a test of your typing ability. Yeah, I think teaching's the wrong word. I think it's. Specifically to help you improve your typing skills. Yeah. It even has, like, it'll tell you, like, what your average words per minute are yeah. and things. So, yeah. uh, kind of a thing like that. I think, uh, to that point about, like, 
having it as an expansion. I want to point this out. I don't really want to go into it because I haven't experimented with it at all. But this game actually has Steam Workshop support, and people have introduced things like word packs and like British English spellings, so that you can, <laughs> if you're playing it in a different uh, on a different continent, you could change it over. So that you get your OUs on a worse. Continent. Oh yeah, worse continent. <laughs> In case you thought that we weren't an America-centric podcast. Uh, I mean, in these times, you really got to stake your flag. Mm. And our flag is the American flag. <laughs> these trying times when we talk about typing games on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so there's actually room for like independent like fans of this game to... Uh, like, produce some of this content. While they couldn't make new enemies or change the encounters, they can change the type of things that show up on screen. So, uh, it does exist. Um, but while we were talking about uh, the, like, different mechanical elements in uh, the levels, and honestly, the power plant is the big one. Yep. Because power plant had a lot of things that were sort of, it had lots of the, the two-letter like, switches that you could hit uh, that were all, like, meaningful, but, like, you could do them in a rapid fire because they were so short. Uh, it had the, the, the I don't know what you call them, the nodes that you had to, like, type a certain number of things within a time span in order to get them to power up. And, of course, the bridges that you, like, unroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, does everyone just agree, then, <laughs> that the power plant was sort of the standout dungeon of this game? Yes. I think so too, but only because there was so much more variety in it mm-hmm. in terms of the things that you were typing and not just the things that you were doing. Mm-hmm. I do think the light level is close, if and it probably would have surpassed it for me if they'd played around with the light concept in a little bit less of a linear fashion in the overworld. Because mm-hmm. I did also love the final sequence of yeah. that where you had to mm-hmm. start, you know, trading off, keeping up, keeping the lights on, um, but. The lightning level was more consistently enjoyable to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's the one dungeon where it really felt like they took advantage of the game's design. Or, like, they pushed the design of the game right. to be more, like, yeah, for more variety and to be more uh, minute-to-minute, just, like, more more exciting. Yeah, uh, honestly, I think my closest second uh, is, the, is the, the one where you get the ice power. And it's just because, like, I feel like it could have been a little bit further into the game than it was. Mm-hmm. Because where it was, you got a break from, like, constant, like, just typing fast. And it was more about, like, just solving puzzles. Uh, but I didn't really need a break at that point. It's only, like, 45 minutes, mm-hmm. maybe, into the game. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's probably different for, like, I completed this game this time, not 100%. Uh, like I did on my last save, uh, in about three, three and a half hours, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what the average time is, but it feels about right for this kind of a game. Like, I can't imagine, like, a super long campaign that's just purely <laughs> typing-based, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the Ice Dungeon comes in really early. I feel like, while there's nothing wrong with the Ice Puzzles in this game, or even Ice, like, Ice Slidey Puzzles like that generally... It's one of those things where I felt like 
the game wasn't leaning into the things that made it unique and interesting. Like, mm-hmm. I can play an ice puzzle in literally any, like, third-person controlled game, if even that. Like, how many times have we played through an ice slidey puzzle before? Oh, yeah. Yeah, any yeah. kind of, like, top-down Zelda-style game, there's gonna be ice puzzles like that. It's in Pokemon. Yeah. It's in many Pokemon games. Yeah. 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 So, I well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that particular focus and component of the dungeon, I feel like it really did not lean into the typing angle that could have been made unique and how a lot of other segments mm-hmm. are made unique. Like, I don't know. Maybe you can only so many things can be frozen at a time and you have to selectively type things to freeze as you move over the water. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But I think that what it was is they wanted those sections to be a test of your understanding of the movement controls. So I think they wanted people to control the movement with the home keys, Mm -hmm. and it's hard to learn those, and I think that's why that dungeon was placed earlier in the game, so that you could, like, get a hold of exactly how they worked. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially because, like, yeah, if you try and just, like, as you probably did through most of the game, just, like, run from one side of the screen to the other as naturally as you could do with WASD. Mm-hmm. You get fucked over in the, on the ice puzzles because you have to, like, more precisely change where your direction is. Mm-hmm. It can get a little bit frustrating. Uh, but once you get the hang of it, I guess, probably a good idea that they put it there. But because of that, because of the how, like, it's an ice puzzle, an ice puzzle is... Uh, that's the thing you say when you see an ice puzzle. You're like, it's an ice puzzle. It's an ice, an ice puzzle. puzzle. A nice ice puzzle. Uh, the ice mausoleum, I think, is like the weakest point of the game. Because yeah. uh, it's just more ice puzzles in a more linear area. Woo. <laughs> Exciting. Yeah, that's one of the least memorable areas. I know I went through it, but I can't really remember it at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But aesthetically, the the four main dungeons are pretty good. The forest one is a little bit like, am I in a different area as opposed to the overworld? I was really confused when I stumbled upon that. It yeah. was like the first, what were they, the nests? Oh, right, Or yeah. whatever it's considered. Yeah, the first one that you stumble into, it's easy to just walk right there after the fire dungeon. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is this a dungeon? <laughs> or is this the overworld? But I went through a loading there, screen. Yeah, there's narration... I don't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of. It's it's weird. It's yeah. confusing. Uh, the one of the few notes that I actually took down. Um, how, first of all, what did you guys think about the Shattered Isles, which is the the wind area? I mean, I liked it visually, just because it was three dimensional on a game that did not spend a whole lot of its time being three dimensional, but it did not stand out to me one way or the other. Okay, I agree with that for the most part. Yeah, it used the same like tile set as the overworld did but it just broke it up Mm -hmm. which is like not what i was expecting and it's cool like it's a cool idea yeah uh but that's about as far as it went the puzzles weren't particularly engaging like the just hit several things with the wind Mm -hmm. but god help you if you had to go to the bathroom before you went in there because like it's just the sound of running water constantly the whole time that you're there (laughs) Dude, I cannot sympathize with this because I've never understood that like joke 
of human biology. Of like, when you hear water, you have to take a leak? Never. Never has it happened to me. Is it just like a statistical thing? Where like, I've just statistically never somehow in my life both listened to water and need to pee at the same time? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it's that hearing running water makes you have to pee so much as that if you do have to pee and you hear it, you're like, oh god. Now I I have to pee right now. Because now I'm just thinking about peeing. Like, the only times I hear running water was when I'm near a sink. Would you ever, like, have to... Well, that's weird. <laughs> what do you mean that's weird? Have you ever been, like, around a river? <laughs> because it's not that loud. Most rivers are... I've been around, like, rivers Russian are Rivers are loud. <laughs> this is a fact. Okay, we need to define what you mean by rivers. I think creeks a are louder river. than most rivers. That is a falsehood. What? <laughs> if I wouldn't stood beside the Ohio River at night, it would not make a lot of noise. It would make a water noise that you could hear, and if you had to go to the bathroom, you'd probably remember that and have to go pee. I feel like I'm sitting in like a room where everyone else can like hear the dog whistle noise right now. <laughs> like you hear a noise when you're standing beside the Ohio Yes. River, it's like thousands and thousands of gallons of running water. I get that, but it's, it makes a noise. It makes a constant noise. <laughs> you're just you 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 don't remember it because you get used to it after a little bit. Your brain will tune it out. Yeah, I, there's no way I can. You can't argue about not hearing something. Alright, we're gonna get off the the silent rivers <laughs> discussion and just say the reason that those running water sound makes you have to go to the bathroom is because you'll already have to go to the bathroom and then you'll be like, I don't want to do that right now because that would take time and effort, a thing I don't want to do at the moment. What? And so you just, but you've ever just held it? What, For you, fun? What? No, I mean just generally. And when you do that, you sort of take your mind off of it and then you don't feel the urge. The water sound reminds you of it, and then you, like, get back to it. You're like, oh, right, I'm going to do that. Yeah, Chad explained that badly at first. Uh, it's what? If you've ever put... If, if you've ever explained it so badly that we got onto a conversation about whether rivers make noise? <laughs> well, no, when you said when you don't go to the bathroom, because that would take time and effort, a thing I don't want to do... Uh, was the part that you explained badly. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> if you ever put off going to the bathroom because you're doing something that you just want to finish or whatever. Yeah. It would take time and effort to yeah. get up and... <laughs> <laughs> and then you hear running water. Right. It would, like, remind you, oh, yeah, I have to pee. And then the urge would suddenly, like rush back to you and you need to go. So that's my point about the Shattered Isles. It's always exaggerated for, like, humor in, like, cartoons or whatever. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Somebody's sitting in a chair and, like, there's a leaking faucet nearby. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Oh, right. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, that's, I mean, the dungeons are just a, a mechanical extension of what you're doing throughout the rest of the game. Yeah. Uh, as it is. And that's sort of could be a little bit better, like, there, if there was more to differentiate them, uh, it would make it more of, like, a segmented experience that you actually felt like it was a different thing, like a dungeon in a Zelda game. Yeah. Uh, and only a few of them really accomplished that. The the, the mines with the crystals, mm-hmm. the, uh, the ice one with all the ice puzzles, and the uh, <clears throat> power plant with all of its crazy electrical nonsense. But for the most part, everything else is just sort of overworld exploration and combat 
but more frequently. Right. And that's about it. Um, I actually don't really have a ton more else to say other than, like, it's a short game uh, with a really focused sort of uh, mechanical identity and a lot of cool aesthetic things that coalesce around it. This is an awesome veneer on a genre I would have never, ever touched if it didn't have it. And so I'm happy it does. That kind of disappoints me a little bit. I guess we're doing final thoughts at the moment. I don't know if that's... <laughs> uh, but it does disappoint me a little bit because like, I was hoping you'd be like, oh, now I'm super into wanting to play typing games. <laughs> and I could be like, here's some more cool typing. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I don't mean... If other typing games take typing as a mechanic in the same cool and interesting ways that this game does... I am on board because that's what this game when I said veneer I didn't mean veneer like sweet art I meant veneer like the context of a Zelda game and if you can show me other examples of things that aren't just like blah there's a word on screen type it real fast right like typing of the dead does yes then I'll be happy okay I'll keep that in mind alright I guess my final thoughts are I have a kind of a like a nostalgic soft spot for typing games from playing like lots of them as a kid like in in school and so i was like i'm always on board to play a typing game even if it's as shallow and dumb as typer shark (laughs) (laughs) i'll play that every once in a while just cause um so i really enjoyed this game and i guess to echo what jj said uh i would like to see more typing games do take this sort of approach take things more seriously and not just have them be teaching you how to type faster. Yeah. I think that's kind of a... It, like, the PC as a platform doesn't have a ton going for it and as far as, like, uh, what can you get on a PC that you can't get anywhere else. And so the sort of culture surrounding PC gaming is always like, oh, well, we're the best at first-person shooters, and also our games look the prettiest, and, like... Maybe you want an Oculus Rift, but you probably don't. Uh, and, like, the fact that since the, what, the, like, Sega Mega Drive or whatever, uh, there hasn't been, like, a weird keyboard peripheral for a, a game console. Oh, Chad. So, oh, no, is there a keyboard for everything <laughs> I just fucked up? Uh, there, I know there's one for the Wii. What? 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 I didn't know about this. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was ever released in North America. Okay, that but makes there sense. was like a Pokemon typing game for the Wii. What? There's a Pokemon typing game on the 3DS. Oh, it's the 3DS. Yeah, and there's a 3DS keyboard that's like okay. fucking tiny. I thought it was the Wii. If you're excited about fucking tiny keyboards, have I got news for you? Uh, I'm excited about keyboards generally. The size is really wasn't there. There was one for the Super Nintendo. Yeah, with Mario Paint. Yeah. Imagine in your mind an Xbox 360 controller. I don't. Okay, Okay. I've got it. Picture clear in my mind. Yes, like a true gamer would. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know that thing in the bottom of the 360 controller that's for a headphone jack of some kind that no one has ever used because they immediately replaced the shitty Microsoft 360 headset that got packaged in. Yeah. Okay. Imagine if. Keeping the shape of the 360 controller in your mind. Keeping it there. You could take a weird log of some kind <laughs> and just shove it. That, so it makes the bottom where like the handles where your hand would be a completely smooth line. 
And between your handles is now like the tiniest QWERTY you uh, could ever like imagine. Like the messenger keyboard. Exactly. I know what you're talking okay. But that doesn't lend itself to doing anything productive, let alone <laughs> uh, making a game based on it. Does the this mythical 3DS keyboard do that? Well, yeah. it was packaged with a Pokemon game that you could type in. Like, that was its purpose. Oh, oh. You're yeah. saying we just needed a 360 video game that required that stupid, like, Keep. log keyboard. I mean, at that point, really, the log keyboard uh, would be better suited for something like an MMO or an RTS, mm-hmm. where you could just use the keys as shortcuts, mm-hmm. because it was so unintuitive to actually type words on it. It was supposed to be to send messages, which, as I think anybody who played Halo knows, is the last thing you want to be made, <laughs> like, easier and more incentivized. Mm. Uh, oh, God. But my overall point is that everyone who has a PC has a keyboard. It's an understood input device that's used in pretty much any game. Utilize the whole thing sometimes. Like the the existence of typing games as sort of a novelty is almost surprising to me, given like the fact that back. I mean, when video games were barely a thing, people had you still had uh, like text adventures, which did use the keyboard in in a different way than this does. But uh, I don't know. It would just be a kind of a cool thing yeah. to see become more popular. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where people associate it with school or with educational games and so they don't ever think like they think oh a typing game (laughs) no thanks yep i mean even last uh last episode when i was like uh we're gonna be playing epistory typing chronicles like everyone just busts up laughing (laughs) you mean jj jj busts up laughing because it's like a goofy like premise you're like a chronicles about typing what a mundane thing i'd rather fucking i would be more intrigued by a game called typing chronicles than xd gale of darkness so (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean even to talk to mention a game we talked about a few weeks ago uh Super hot had those uh, sections where you had to like respond yeah you could actually type stuff Mm -hmm. like that would be way cooler I agreed. <laughs> there are would, lots of would, things I that using the keyboard is a legitimate input. Yeah, it is like so. It is an intriguing like prospect to imagine all the things you could do yeah. if what, you implemented the whole keyboard in a game. Right, and and you brought up uh, Child of Light, and we talked about Ori not too far back. These are games that are like were able to achieve like a beautiful art style because they were basically funded by a much larger uh, entity, uh, Ubisoft and Microsoft Studios, respectively. Uh, If something like this, which already looks really good, could get that sort of a backing, you you could imagine this game being, like, a much more, like, I don't know... Polished. Polished, even, even, like, positive, like, popular experience Mm. if it was backed by something big enough. It's easy to get that backing for, like, a platformer. Yeah, this this game totally falls into the category that, like, I'm sad didn't get pulled in to, like, a Microsoft E3 press conference where there's that one section where they show, like, 15 indie games back-to-back. Right. This game belongs there. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well, it did win some, like, indie awards. Good. So good for it. Uh, 
But I think that's all we got. So I mean, I got, I got one more thing. Did either of you guys play Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness? Uh, no, I did not. I didn't own a GameCube. Or I, I would have totally played it if I did, though. <laughs> I, uh, I'm gonna Google after the podcast and see what the XD stands for. That is all. All right. I'm sorry. Thank you for listening to NoClip this week. What are we talking about next time? Uh, next time, as you can probably tell. Uh, we were buying time with our short game, uh, because next time we're going to be talking about Super Mario Odyssey uh, on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, we're making our foray back into the uh, current space of video games. Uh, until that time, you can get a hold of us on our website, noclippodcast.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube. Uh, please give us a rating, a review. If you, like, type up a review and then send that in, uh, you'll probably be the only one there for a while. (laughs) And that would be, like, a cool, prestigious thing to do. You could even just type first, (laughs) as long as you give us five stars. No, no. I'm not not allowing us to sink to this level. Smash that like button. See you later. Oh, it's Mario time. Oh, it's Mario time. Is it like a sex joke that I just made? Neutralized. Oh, no, pizza denied. Yeah. <laughs> uh, modern YouTubers, that's like the phrase they use. Smash, Smash the Smash like that button. like button. Join the like, hit it real fast. Join the notifi- notification squad is another big one. You, fuck that. You have not... Fuck that. <laughs> I thought most people just said like, comment, subscribe. Well, that, they was, used the, to. that was the old one. But now, now we have to smash the like button. Smash that like button. Smash that like button. Ring that bell. Ring the bell. <laughs> smash that like button. You haven't specified, though. You ignored my question. Oh. I, I asked, is it a sex thing? Is it a sex <laughs> joke? And I you don't... said, it's the thing people say. <laughs> leaving open that it could just still also be a sex joke. I don't I'm think so. leaving it open to interpretation. I don't think so. Okay. Smash doesn't exclusively refer to sex. Now. I'm not claiming it, it does. started but referring it to could. sex like four years ago. I know. It could. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, it might. No. Have sex with that leg button. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>